All right. Hello. Return back from our long break. Return of the Jedi. This is episode eight. Yep. Return of the cat podcast. The podcast awakens. <laughs> or, or no, it would be it would be uh, the last podcast. The last podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So we uh, <clears throat> we're interested in talking about capitalism versus socialism. What are some of the the pros and cons of both sides? Which one's better? I take the stance that capitalism is better. I and don't I disagree that it's better, but I I guess I'm arguing for socialism in some ways. <laughs> well, let's merits. say I don't see much value in socialism. Okay, and I'll say and maybe, I see some value in socialism. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll take that stance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to start? It's not terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the I think the most recent thing that I've like listened to about socialism was one of the Stephen Dubner Freakonomics podcasts about why are all those Nordic countries so happy, like Sweden, Denmark, the Netherlands. They're all very socialist, so they have very long maternity leaves, also paternity leaves that are significantly long, mm-hmm. high tax rates, high government spending and influence in a lot of economic activities. <laughs> so that's probably the most recent thing I know about it. I, I've i read a good amount about communism. I know it's not actually directly related to socialism, but it is, I think, where a lot of the... There's like a Venn diagram, and I think there's a pretty good overlap between the two. Yeah. So I... The thing I don't like about socialism is it continues to solidify how we as a society, we as a people, as a species, as and as a race, are only capable of affecting positive change through governmental <laughs> law and regulation and rules. Yeah. And that's that's something, something I agree with. I mean, especially as a Christian, it's, you know, there are things other than the government that we should be using to keep ourselves in check. Yeah, I expect people to raise their children to take care of their um, environment and their mm-hmm. and the, the people around them. So that's that's a bit of my take. So I, it's not that I don't think that people should take care of each other and that we should take care of each other. I think that it's not necessarily... I don't hold the opinion that the U.S. government is the sole power that can make change in the world. Right. I think the, the problem a lot of times with the socialist debate is that it goes against... it. It's pinned up against like very good emblematic communities so as an example like i don't think a socialist government holds a candle to like just a really good group of people in a church yeah because they're much closer knit they all know each other by name they're very oh this guy passed away this girl needs some help they're very willing to pitch exactly yeah your people taking care of each other in your within your community yeah because i think is so much more important and if you were that's when i come and say is that well do we expect people to do that themselves not necessarily, but I think if you're going to, if you want to make a difference in the world, are you going to go lobby in the government or are you going to work in your community to make it better? Right. And I think that's, you have much more power to make a difference in your community through community work than you would by writing letters to your governor to I, increase yeah. taxes and put mm-hmm. more money towards different different programs and everything. Yeah. I think this is a fundamental left versus right debate. The left is very much about the of the opinion that the government is a moralizing and normalizing force. And the right is very much of the opinion that the government is about protection either of economic interests or of political interests. And that it really shouldn't serve like much of another function. Like it shouldn't mm. shouldn't regulate how we spend our money, it shouldn't regulate how moral we are. Conversely, 
there is some right factions that are, I guess this is the libertarian Republican split. There are mm-hmm. some factions on the right that are very much like the government should be moralizing, but only about family values and not about economic values. Like where you spend your money doesn't matter. Yeah. The left is very much, I think, on the opinion, the way the government spends its money and does and acts is a moral thing. Like it should do it for people or for specific minorities that have been disadvantaged and things like that. Okay. So what kind of things do you feel should be socialized through the government? I think education and medicine are probably the top two in my mind, because I think everyone should be educated and people shouldn't um, get sick unnecessarily. Mm. I think those are... Or they shouldn't go without treatment. I'm more... Yeah. I think it's more important that people get preventative treatment than that they get kidney surgery. Mm. Like, I don't know if the government should have to pay for those sorts of things. Or should they have to pay for, like, the $1,000 a month pill? I don't know. I just tend to think that the value of medicine, at least in our country, it's hard because medicine very much comes with employment. Like you are employed and then your employer gives you health care. But we don't distinguish between like preventative health care and just like basically treatment very well. So people can't get preventative health care uh, without getting like it's all one package, essentially. Yeah, I'd, I'd personally like to see the government get more involved in maybe not providing medicine uh themselves like providing the health care themselves but for some some reason i don't like the well i wish they would get more involved in regulating like what is like our current medical industry yeah. you know it's something crazy like one dollar out of every eight dollars is actually spent on the like the doctors and the supplies and everything like all the other seven dollars are just being traded back and forth between <laughs> insurance agencies and hospitals and stuff which is a very, I guess this is where socialism and capitalism, I think, as in like an argument between them, it gets kind of fuzzy because I think of the American healthcare system as very capitalized, like mm-hmm. very much a system that's about making profit, but it does have a very strong socialist component, which is that Medicare and Medicaid are some of the largest government spending yeah. like, pieces of the pie. So, I mean, a thing that I think is relevant to why I think socialism is important is that people come from different economic strata no matter what if they're in a socialist system if they're in a communist system and they're in a capitalist system there's gonna be poor and there's gonna be rich communist systems and socialist systems i think try and chip away at that more than capitalist systems do mm-hmm. capitalism is supposed to be it's like implicit it's like everyone gets richer because there's more productivity but it's not built in that like you know the guy on the street doesn't starve that's not a, there's no capitalist like piece yeah that covers that um, I guess I'm kind of going off on a few tangents. The, the problem is that in the United States, we have a very strong capitalist economy, but it is also hooked up to the breast of a very large and overly powerful government. So education and healthcare are extremely expensive. They're more expensive than anything else. Yeah. Comparatively, like 30, 40 years ago, like the cost of education. Because we've tried to subsidize them through the government. So they just they just dial up the money and then the government spending goes up with it to try to keep it at an affordable price. Yeah. People on the actually, left no, the, the figure I thought of might actually been that the only one that the government spends like seven out of the eight dollars. It's a huge amount of medicine. I think yeah, it's like Medicare. 10 or 20 percent of I know like 30 or 40 percent of the federal budget is just in social programs. So Social mm-hmm. Security. Medicare, Medicaid, welfare is like 30 or 40% of government So we can spending. agree that those other things that are not education and medicine you don't think should be uh, paid for by the government? 
I I do. Uh, it's interesting. I listened to something too that talked about a universal basic income. I thought we could save that for the second half because yeah. UBI is its own. We can like, talk about that separate. Yeah. But I think since that really is like the other piece of the socialist puzzle, like how do you deal with the fact that people come from different economic levels versus how do you deal with the fact that people at base a basic level should have some education and some sort of medical treatment in a modern in quote society. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that's the, that would be my basics, Medicare or medical treatment education. That's, I think the most important parts that, of a socialist idea or government. So what about, I mean, you mentioned why, why medicine and why not food and water and shelter? Yeah. That's, I think part of the universal basic income idea or okay. concept or a social or just a welfare program concept. Okay, so by, we'll talk about that with the UBI. We could talk about it now too. I mean, at least in part. Because I guess I'm trying to get to what, when does the, because I kind of see like, you know, the the money just comes out, comes away from the people, and then goes back into the government, and then it gets redistributed out back to the people in forms mm-hmm. of med- medicine. And so, right. why would we not? You know, what I like more is when hospitals have a program for. Like there's, I know a lot of hospitals have things like if you can't afford to get vaccines, they will vaccinate your ch- children. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not physically capable of paying for vaccines, they will vac- they will give vaccines to you. Right. The, I wish more things like that had happened because that is beneficial for everybody. You know, for your children Herd to immunity. be vaccinated. Yeah, for her- herd immunity. So, um, I'd like to see more like that, mm-hmm. where that you know independent um, organizations would step up and provide a service for the benefit of humanity. Right. And I really think that if we as a society want to maintain our free will and our self-control, we need to start doing more good for the people around us um, because mm-hmm. of what we'll get to with universal basic income. Those are the reasons. The same reason why we need that is why we need um, people to be more generous and to be picking up each other more. Um, yeah. I, th- I think the picking up each other problem for me and why I think I've lean more socialist in some of these ways is that I don't think that at a certain scale you can maintain community integrity. What I mean by that is when you have 200 people in your community, that's about the size that your the human brain is like pretty good with. So you could know everyone by name, you know what everyone's, even what their jobs are, what they do for a living, if they've had any issues. 200 people is pretty good. That's usually the size of smaller, medium churches. When you get to like a thousand people, ten thousand people, fifty thousand people, you're talking about like most small towns or cities in the United States, right? Or at that ten thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand mark, you can't know everyone. It's just impossible unless you have eidetic memory or your brain yeah. man. You won't be able to know everyone by name. So I think that's the value of socialism: is that there are people that were going to slip through the cracks in those societies because they don't have a good family structure, they don't have a good community structure to rely on. And why I bring up healthcare is, I think when I think of United States healthcare, I think of it as much like go to a doctor, you know, go to a specialist, things like that. That I don't think is as important to me as there are people that have undiagnosed mental health issues that are on the street, that are killing their families, that mm-hmm. are killing themselves. That's the that's the pandemic or epidemic that I think is completely unaddressed by the current system, and that I think. Ideally, a social, more socialist approach of just like health care, mental health care is really good for everyone and we need to yeah. enforce it. Well, so in. OK, we'll stay on this topic. I want to try to stop going on tangents towards UVI because I do want to save that for later. 
but what what would you say about how capitalism drives for advancements in medicine and how mm-hmm. the competition and the the drive to to develop new medicines because they're making money off of it um be, means that you know the US produ- is the by far the the biggest producer of like medical advancements in the world. Mm-hmm. The US also has like the most drug companies in the world. It has the most money being poured into those things by not just those companies, but also the government through well, education Well, a thousand programs. years from now, what we're going to remember is all the advancements in technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's... with them call them a hefty price tag, which is problematic. I mean, you go back 200 years ago, right? Most medical care was prefer- performed by your family or by a traveling doctor who you paid with like a chicken. Like there wasn't a concept of a hospital or nurses or mm-hmm. MRI machines kidney surgery like none of these things existed they come with a big price tag and they are awesome in the sense that people are living longer and have access to things that would have you know killed them in their 20s or 30s if they didn't have access to them yeah Uh, there's uh, on one of Stephen Dubner's podcasts they kind of talk about like what's the value of a human life and that's I think the paradox that we have yet to solve for meant for healthcare in general not just Mm -hmm. mental healthcare but any term of healthcare right is it is that one person's kidney surgery worth it for the government to pay I mean, we would say now, no, like, I don't think Medicare or Medicaid cover like a hundred thousand dollar surgery, but if the guy's rich enough or woman's rich enough, they can afford that sort of surgery and their life is saved. But then Mm -hmm. on the, on the flip side, we will pay a lot to keep people alive that probably could have just passed away. Maybe, you know, we're extending their life by six months a year, you know, advanced cancer treatments, types of surgeries and things that you do to like extend life a little bit longer. And these are people that are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, not like 10-year-olds. Hmm. So that's, the that's I think, a, something that we'll never solve is what is the value of a human life. We try and let the market do it, or we can try and let governments do it. But in the end, I don't think there's a consensus across people what the value is. Yeah, I, I mean, I struggle with that as well. What it comes down to is that you're basically saying that your neighbor has to pay for your medical bill Lest he be facing, you know, jail time. Yeah, you're talking about, you know, FICA and all the sorts of tax withholdings and things that basically go into paying for these programs. Right, right. Yeah, I don't... I mean, death and taxes are the two sure things. What they go to, I think, is problematic. Because most people, I think, that are more socialist would agree that... Or would all have the view that, like, we shouldn't have a large military. So they see like the 10 or 20 or 30% of the federal budget that goes to the military and they're like, we should take that and we should turn it into food for poor people or whatever it is. And then the people that are very pro-military would say we should take all the people that are on welfare and kick them off because they're a waste of space, right? And it's just this whole hmm. back and forth bloodletting. But I, I think it's a hard – I mean if you don't enforce it, right, you end up like Greece. They didn't enforce their tax policy. No one paid their taxes. They had a huge economic crisis because their government was, like, completely in debt. They had been taking no money from the people that they were supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. That's where all these austerity measures come from. Well, that's that's if you have bills to pay and no money from the people to pay it. I'm not suggesting you cut off the well and not supply and, the government with funds for things they've agreed to pay for. Right. Because that's how they get in debt. I, I would think you'd work it from the other side and start really asking. You know, I think that... The question would be is that if you were to run into this thing, I say you have a group of 15 people, right? Mm-hmm. And you're 
would you go around and mandatory collect money to do these sort of things? I think if we're all standing around and there's 15 of us and we don't have any roads, I'm going to be like, okay, everybody, you know, we all need to pitch in and we all need to contribute so that we can have roads to go between so we can, you know, move so we can get, get where we're going. And the thing is like what I say, Oh, you know, you all have to pay me so that we can pay to heal you. Yeah, actually, you know, that, but that might make sense. Right. Mm hmm. Because if because not everyone's going to get sick, we don't know who it's going to be. So if everybody puts money in, then we're going to have the ability to, you know, treat whatever we need to. Although that's not my argument. I'm a capitalist, so I'm going to say no. I think it's about leverage. Unfortunately, I don't think people do things unless they have someone has leverage over them, or they're it's like a communal for the greater good thing. But that doesn't happen at the government level. It doesn't even happen at your town level, right? You don't give a crap about probably everyone that lives in Reston or wherever. Right, you probably mm. care about your immediate circle of friends and family, maybe your church. Whatever well, what it about if what if you what if it was something like um, every year you picked the different categories that your money went to That'd be awesome. from your taxes? Yeah, like you said, okay, I'll, I'll pay for these things, and you just kind of check down a list, and you have yeah. to select a minimum number of them or something so that you don't have the situation like Greece had where they're not getting any money, and then anything that can't can't have funding, we just don't have. Yeah, and then next year we might have it back if everybody decides they want to pay for it. Or people decide it's worth paying for again. I I think I like that idea a lot, and I would support it. I think the problem is that communities get very divided on certain things. So you, what you'd probably see is that in the cities, no one would pay for military, and then in the countryside, no one would pay for things like NPR or plant. Well, I think you do it at a federal level. Yeah, so you do it at a federal level. So maybe it would equalize, and yeah. then you'd be fine. But then at the, at the end, you're that's literally voting with your dollar. I mean, yeah. you're saying your money. This money is going to come out of your paycheck regardless. Where but where does it go? Right. You have ability to decide. I think the government is too stupid to implement something like that. And that's a, a part of why I'm not mm. a complete socialist. Because I think that that would be the pretty much the only context I would be okay with, like, many, like, socialist programs. Because it's just that the fact that I have no choice but to pay for things that other people want and I don't agree with paying for is mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm at, okay, currently we're having problems with the federal budget, right? Where mm-hmm. multiple times the government was either about to shut down or was shut down for multiple weeks. And that's when they have an unlimited revenue stream. Like it doesn't, it's the revenue streams aren't dependent on, you know, this much money goes to this or this much money goes to that other than what's currently legislated. So imagine if they had to depend on what people picked each year. I don't think the government's quick enough to figure that out. Maybe I don't give them enough credit, but I don't think they could figure that out from like each person selected this amount of their, this percent of their money. And so now we have X many dollars for. I think you wouldn't even say what. I think you wouldn't even do percents. What you just do is like is just they checked these five items. A hundred percent of their money could go towards one of them if needed. I think with with advancements in software, I think you could probably do it because people could just punch it in on a computer and immediately have that that data, and then you just you just do algorithms to figure out the amount of Mm -hmm. money goes. When they when the government starts using software to do things at a scale and like an ability that's competent yeah. then i think they should do something like that but they should also do that for things like um gerrymandering like for example there are people that have re- already written software programs that basically create or create these very evenly distributed maps in terms of demographics mm. and voting equality like there's this guy did this probably a year or two ago but the government's not going to accept it because it's one of the things that one of the powers that they have is that they can abuse the geography of their state to yeah. get more people to vote for them or you know take all those democratic votes and put them in one spot so 
they just they're completely uninvolved in all the other county elections yeah and same with republicans or democrats doing it to republicans so mm-hmm. if you convince someone that it would be some way benefit them they'd probably do it but if not then they'd be like well what, what do i care yeah it would benefit them because then your your people are drawing the lines on the winner side of the field right so like the people that are currently in office are the ones that are drawing the lines so if you were saying like the house is predominantly democrat you could say well then all the states that are being gerrymandered by Democrats will now be more fair game for Republicans. Yeah, I, I was sorry. I was talking about the finance, the microfinance thing, not the oh, okay. gerrymandering. I think the gerrymandering is it, I could you could convince each side at a different time that it's the right thing to do, but you couldn't convince both of them at the same time. <laughs> well, I think that uh, you don't have to just use the statistic that like last year was majority Republican and this year is majority Democrat. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to keep it forever. Yeah, but it's also, wanna... it's also drawn by states. That's the part that gets really tricky. Yeah. So it's not at the federal level. It's at, like, these state governments that are deciding yeah. how these things go. And they're, you know, there's 50 different state governments, and they're not. The No two of them are really alike in the end. Yeah. yeah. I think it's actually a good thing that our government's so inefficient because they would change too much <laughs> if it wasn't. And I don't think that deep down nobody really wants things to change. They want the government to do the same thing they've always done and just not have to worry about it except for a couple issues that were they're really upset about mm-hmm. but then again they also like things about the government that they don't want to change uh-huh so it's like kind of a double-edged sword there because you only ever want it to change in the ways that you think are right yeah exactly yeah. and you don't want it to change in the ways you think are wrong so you want it to just be slow and inefficient so it just can't change yeah <laughs> take the take the lesser of two evils and just have it churn yeah <clears throat> which i as far of as far as socialism goes it's probably its biggest issue right is that it relies very heavily on governmental structure yeah to do things and so i think the countries that are very good at socialism are very small and very rich and the countries that are really bad at socialism are really big and really poor so like venezuela versus yeah like you know any of the nordic countries like it's basically it relies entirely on gas and oil revenue and has almost no power otherwise Right. And those countries also do like offshore drilling and stuff, but they have like very well-educated populace and have for a very long time had economic superiority, you know, due to the whole taking over the world kind of thing that the, you know, Western Europeans did. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you could look at like countries that were horrible at socialism, the, like communist, really big communist countries like China and Russia, right? They basically, their whole countries were demolished in a manner of speaking, like millions of people died of starvation their militaries were like decrepit in the sense that basically they <laughs> were building these tanks and planes that would fall out of the sky. Also, I guess back to so you said medicine and education were like the two two ones. So let's talk about education. So yeah. you're also now thinking like higher education too, more than just public school. Public school is I think okay. It's not great in the United States, but it's okay. But higher education in the United States is definitely not. So do you think that do you feel that private schools or public schools have better quality of education? I, I think private schools have more variable quality of education and public schools have uh, more consistent, which is that in cities, public schools are worse. And then in rich suburbs or the country, public schools are generally better. Mm-hmm. And then private schools, I think, in cities can be good or bad. And then in the country, you can be good or bad. But they're less they're less beholden to those sorts of normal markers. And I don't... I haven't really read much. To but then, up. but then the good and badness of the private school just goes to, well, 
I mean, and, and if you can get loans to go, which I pretty much everybody can get loans nowadays to go to school, mm-hmm. um, mostly in college, I'm speaking in college, right. the, then the people that aren't as competent go to lower level schools mm-hmm. because the people that are more competent then go to the higher schools, which mm-hmm. charge more money. Mm-hmm. And that, that competition, I think, drives then like, the people get the right level of quality based on what education they should be getting. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I've shared this with Michelle. My opinion about college is that it doesn't teach you anything that you couldn't just learn on your own. Really? Yes. I thought people would probably disagree with me, but I think I totally disagree. Okay. I think what college gives you is connections and that's the number one, two, three, four, and five thing that it gives you and that everything else is just education. But Connections are definitely a good thing you make in college with between professors and students. Mm-hmm. Um, and professionals. That's the right alum that you know. Who but I think it is a bit unfair to use connections because the you said you don't learn anything. But one of the reasons no, why you, you learn valuable things is because you're in contact with people that have knowledge that you want. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that if you could use that. But then again, that's I think that is saying that you do learn valuable skills there because I think my 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 impression is, is it kind of is what you make it. Um, if you're going there to get a degree, to get a job, you won't learn a whole lot. Right. If you're going there to pick the brain of somebody who spent their, who's kind of devoted their life to a certain field, mm-hmm. then I think you will learn a lot because you're more interested in just seeing what that person knows and what you can learn from them rather than just the, uh, you know, getting a, a degree for a job. Which is what a lot of people I've heard from, I ran into in college were just like, I'm just here because I want to do this job. And in order to do this job, I need this degree. Yep. Punching your ticket. I've, I just don't think universities should exist for that reason a lot of other times. But I mean, yeah, I really don't think they should be a barrier for many jobs. Yeah, but they are for most of the well-paid jobs in the world. You need an education. Yeah. a higher education system. I mean, if they just did better training on, if they, if we had a more of a culture around better, like, like jobs were supposed to train you to do the jobs and then let you go if you can't do them mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time, I think that we would have a better, um, like job economy in general. Yep. Because it'd be more based on you know, merit. It would be more of a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, for me, like university should be a place you go because you have a thirst for knowledge and you want to learn about a sp- particular subject and you want to go, you know, it's the equivalent of like going off into the mountainside with monks and meditating and learning more about your spiritual self and, and your life, right? You don't go out to, to do that because you're like, I want to be a monk so I can work with like the hung- hungry and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you go off to meditate and become a monk because you want to learn more about yourself and your spirit and everything. Mm-hmm. So I feel... Yeah, that's that's what I'm. What a university should be more like for the equivalent for learning and uh, knowledge should be like. You go off to university because you care about math, mm-hmm. or you care about science or engineering or writing or, um, and you have like an academic interest in those things, not just learning that. Because a lot of people are not like academically inclined, right? You know, mm-hmm. I can use the example of. Uh, so I mentioned this. I want to go. I want to go pro in Smash, or I want to like right. at least compete a little bit, right? So there's two ways I could learn how to be a Smash player, right? I could go watch somebody lecture about it and teach me or on YouTube and, and teach the and like watch them talk about techniques and why they're why people do certain things and why did this technique develop and how do you implement it? And I could write papers on it and try to like 
internalize it by writing and learning and listening to people. Mm-hmm. Or I could just go out and play against people and learn through doing and interacting. And I think both of those are perfectly valid ways to learn. And one of those two ways should not get to decide whether or not I can compete. Right. I think that if I, if I was to say, Oh, you can't, you can't compete in this tournament unless you have this piece of paper that says that you went to school for four, four years to learn how to play smash like that. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't make no sense in that context. And I think, yeah, I do think it's important to apply similar logic and other contexts and see if it makes sense there. And that's, that would be like my argument there is like imagine doing this if you were to just compete like in I mean I'd use more more people example I'd be able to do is like sports if you had to have a degree to play football mm-hmm. that that wouldn't make any sense right? yeah do you have to have a degree to be a country western singer or a no. pop singer I think most skilled professions you for should the sake of my ears it. they probably should no <laughs> yeah, exactly. no. I think most skilled professions you shouldn't need a degree that doesn't mean you can't get one but I right. think it's, it's exp- I think it should always be optional and it should not yeah. be a signal it shouldn't be like a piece of paper that says you are competent it's a piece of paper that says I care enough to have like sat down and just learn about it without being in the career right not being in the field right so mm. I guess the reason I'm more socialist about it is because the like standard right now is you need a degree if you want to do most things that aren't like entry level retail jobs or entry level sales jobs mm-hmm. you need a degree so if we're going to make everyone get a degree we might as well just pay because it's the, it's now the new, you know, undergraduates the new high school in a in a lot of professions. Yeah. So we might as well just pay for it and not make it fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Or conversely, abolish that concept and then just say, oh, you went to school for four years, or you practiced and did things for four years in a occupational way. Well, I think that what needs what would be probably more realistic is to provide alternatives to college is to become serious, more serious as a society about like, of course, we can't abolish the idea that people want degrees. Mm -hmm. But we could do is introduce new um, certification processes, Mm -hmm. um, ones that like like maybe a credit G General Electric to give engineering like degrees Mm -hmm. so that you could go work for them and they set a criteria that means you're ready for well your your degree or your certification yeah makes sense yeah do you want to take a break sure yeah that point in the podcast we'd like to thank everyone who made this possible we'd like to thank our friend daniel also known by the by his artist name of vibenium that's v-i-b-e-n-i-u-m you can find his music on soundcloud he wrote and produced the song that you hear at the beginning and that you'll hear again at the end uh, the song's called emeralds he's interested again you can find his music on soundcloud he goes by the artist name of vibenium v-i-b-e-n-i-u-m Thank you, Daniel. With that, we'll return to our podcast. All right, we're back. Well, let's get right back. Let's get right into uh, universal basic income. So... For those of you who have not heard of universal basic income, I think in the upcoming presidential election, this is going to be, I think it's going to be a major topic that at least some of the candidates are bringing and want to fight for or against. Um, and it's the idea that what if the government was to 
give everybody a a basic amount of income, like a thousand dollars a month. And that there's actually like those who that are bringing up this idea actually have plans for how to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So given, let's just take the assumption that we can find the money for it, that we can squeeze it out of other areas of the government or that the cost savings or the cost benefit of doing this would outweigh the cost of it itself. So Mm -hmm. that aside, should the government provide a universal basic income to its people? Yes. What's your, yes. Okay. okay. I'll take, I'll take no. I'll say no. This okay. For the... There's a million reasons, but I think first and foremost is JK Rowling was on food stamps on, or what they call benefits. Done. All right. You've convinced me. So no. one person has spawned <laughs> a movie industry or sorry, not movie industry, but a series of now probably 10 movies, including like the fantastic beast movies written so many books that and sold them they've been translated in so many languages that's probably employed hundreds thousands of people and she was on some sort of government paid you know based welfare system but i don't i'm not like oh welfare is great i love welfare because i think welfare has a lot of problems mostly the biggest problem with welfare is that as you start making money your welfare benefits go down so mm-hmm. there's comes this point where you're actually almost as poor or poorer because you're employed <laughs> yeah, in the welfare system. So, like, this is the stupidest incentive structure, right? People talk about workfare. They talk about all these other alternatives. Just get rid of welfare. Let people starve, whatever. I'm like, okay, we're in the richest country in the world. We have a ton of money. We can pay for multi-million dollar planes to kill people. We can pay millions of dollars to have people get kidney surgery that are 80 years old. Why can't we just give people the money themselves? Why does the gov- why does it have to go through the funnel of the government doing God knows what with it? My argument is that if you can free up three million three trillion dollars of our budget to just give back to people, then just cut three trillion dollars from the tax tax budget. Like don't tax the people? Why it's it's classic recirculation of money. Yep, it's it is actually that's why I like it a lot. It's actually the most fundamentally socialist thing I could think of. All other forms of socialism are kind of diluted. Yeah. Universal basic income or freedom dividend as it's been called by <laughs> some people is the most socialist thing. It's like they'll just give take money from everyone and then give it back to everyone. But it'll well, disproportionately give back more to people that actually pay the tax money and none to the you know, you put the five I think Andrew Yang said this, you put like ten thousand dollars in someone's bank account that, you know, makes a million dollars a year, they're not gonna blink. But you put that amount of money in someone's bank account who has never made that much money in their life, they're going to be like, holy crap, I can pay for my new car and, you know, upgrade this and upgrade mm-hmm. that. So I, it's J.K. Rowling. It's like she wrote a book and, just, you know, has spawned, like, basically an entire theme parks, you know, movies, things like that. And she was benefited by the government. And I think that what people give is creativity and not labor. I don't think it's important that people work at Walmart for you know, $8 an hour. So in this new system, would people still have to work? No, why not? You we're giving you money. As long as if you can live off it, it's probably not enough to live off of, but if it is at the like a very low strata, then yeah, you don't have to work. Just stay at home, just smoke pot. So That's, isn't that the problem with welfare that you just brought up before that people aren't incentivized to get up and make a difference and work? I think welfare has false incentives like oh, you should start making more money or, oh, you, but then we will take money away from you or have more children because then you'll get more money even if you let your children starve or don't, you know, give them any Mm -hmm. education proper or proper amounts of food. It has perverse incentives. But the universal basic income has no incentive. 
It's like, we took money from other people that weren't you, if you're poor, or if you're rich, here's your money back, but probably less than we took from you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. It's just right. What's, there is going to be a line that you could draw on a page that is, if you made more money than this, you paid more for it than you got back. Yes, you paid $10,000 to get 5000 a month or whatever yeah. it ends up being, right? Yeah. yeah. And I... I just don't if if we're going to like really dig into like we talked about last time if we're going to really dig into automating more and just like just demolishing people's jobs like we shipped millions of jobs to China and mm-hmm. Mexico but think of how many millions we'll ship to the robots you know not just like the blue collar jobs but the white collar jobs right yeah when we have the computer lawyer that can read you know a 10,000 page document in a second right and defend you in court why the hell do we have to pay someone, you know, $200,000 to do the same thing? Right. So my stance on this is if less jobs are required to make a product, that product should become cheaper. And, and the problem, I think, with our society is that no matter how many jobs we cut away and we remove and we delete with automation because they're not valuable to do, mm-hmm. the better our economy should get, like our and the fact is that there's no there needs to be some regulation put in place such that automation does not result in a hundred percent like job destruction or uh a hundred percent of an increase on profit right hmm. you should be able to drive down your costs and make things cheaper so then people if there's not if no if the if less jobs are needed across the board mm-hmm. then less money is needed to pay for things. Right. So you're talking about kind of like a, uh, an efficient economy, not a rich right. economy. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we subsidize people by saying, okay, well, we know you can't work, so we're going to give you your money back. Um, we are on a the pathway of um, what's next beyond that is what happens when that $1,000 a month isn't enough to live off of. And that $1,000 a month is effectively having no money. It's effectively the same thing as having no money. Yeah, so you're talk you're saying universal basic income will just promote crazy inflation. Like now I'm going to go to McDonald's and a burger is going to cost $500 because everyone gets, you know, $1000 a month. So yeah, you can afford it's that. Half their burger cost for the month or their mm-hmm. one burger, two burger cost. I that's possible that might happen. I think it's very at least the way economies work. I think the necessities will become more expensive. I think the things you can't decide not to pay for, like housing. I think the housing market would go up. I think you'd end up paying much more for rent. The housing market's already like astronomical, though. Yeah, but it gets to go up more because now there's more um, competition, right? I can afford a two thousand dollar a month apartment, say for example, oh. and I now have an extra thousand dollars. Well, you know, why would I move out of a place that then charges me two hundred dollars more? Why would I, I? Why would I move out then? Because I'm like, well, you know, I like this place. I don't want to move, so I'll just pay the extra two hundred, and then that just goes up. Like inflation just starts increasing at a faster rate because, I mean, the argument. That other people have made from the other opposite side is that more more money means more consumers, more consumers means more demand, more demand should drive down costs. So that putting money more money back in the system would actually be like a the surplus that or what is it not is the surplus the right word? Maybe in, ter- um, in terms of what? Oh, when the government a stimulus. It'd be a stimulus, a stimulus package yeah. that actually stimulated the economy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I agree with that. I think that it short term would stimulate the economy and long term would then lead to an astronomical inflation, which did make inflation become even more worse. Being, because what is inflation? Inflation means your dollar is worth less. What are we doing? We're giving money to everybody. 
I, we're making we're yeah. putting more money in the system we're making our dollar less worth less I think that's the key part of universal basic income. I would disagree with it if it costs the government more money than it does now to do it, if that makes any sense. Because then it is just a... So the way inflation... Even, um, what was his name we were talking Andrew about? Andrew Yang. Yeah. Andrew Yang even agreed it would cost an extra $1.6 trillion. He just said the economy would be much... Well, a large part of that cost would be accounted for by how better the economy would be. Yeah, I... I mean, maybe that's part of the problem in the end, that it'll drive inflation. I think really the way that inflation is driven is purely based off governments. I remember I did this uh, business course in school, mm-hmm. and it talked about how the most of the time the inflation inflation has gone super high and his, historically has been based off wartime. Because what happens during wartime is the government runs out of money, so they just start printing more money. So the value of the dollar just plummets right and so then the you know the amount of dollars in the economy skyrockets you can see this in like germany post-world war one you can see this in the u.s even after certain years especially in the 70s when the u.s went off the gold standard because we Mm -hmm. just were printing money like crazy so the if the government has to print more money to fund universal basic income or just put more money into circulation then yeah it's just it's the same thing they're just right driving inflation through government spending right now because we live on a fiat system not a not a currency gold backed system the government just makes money they say you know fiat means it is in latin so they just write a check the treasury says this amount of money now exists you know they have like a big fat ten thousand dollar coin or dollar bill or whatever the hell they is they print that doesn't really matter all that matters is what they say you know the amount of money that's in circulation and the value of the dollar then becomes more of a how much money is in circulation versus how is the U.S. economy doing mm-hmm. and how many investors trust the U.S. dollar. Those are the things that factor into its value. So if we give everyone back $1,000 a month, if that money doesn't come from anywhere, then it's very much just hyperinflation. It's going to be people are paying $200 for a cheeseburger. Yeah. The rent the rent cost where it used to be $1,200 a month or 2000 or $5,000 a month like San Francisco or DC now is 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000. I also think what will happen is it'll drive up what we've talked before about how like more and more subscription based services will be a thing where it's like, Oh, now I'm paying $50 a month for this one subscription service. I'm paying delivery. Yeah. And now I'm paying $300 a month for my meat, like for the month. And Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be like, I think it's that once your subscriptions then take up that $1,000 extra, you're still going to be like feel like you're drowning under in under debt and not having enough money. And, well, yeah. to return back to like where I was I was trying to go with that was, I think, single phase plans and strategies typically are not great. Like they're seldom what the system needs because it I think is um, impractical to think that even if you have a single phase strategy, it will play out in a single phase because what will happen is you will introduce this change. There will be an immediate change. There will be a change. There will be the system will adapt to that change and then it will reach its second phase where it's behaving differently than it did in the first um, X amount of time that Mm -hmm. it took to bake in. So I think what we should be asking is where does universal basic, what direction is universal basic income take us in? And I think what universal basic income takes us in is that more and more money goes to the government and is redistributed to the people until all money is just given to people to use at, as they want because there's no more jobs because all of them are automated. 
Mm-hmm. So you're just given money from the government, right? There's. I actually okay. think what would happen is if jobs were not required in the future, then people should not be paying money for things. Yep, that's I think part of Andrew Yang's like other thing that he brings up, which is I think what I agree with. Yeah, is that the value that people provide is not money. That's a perversion. That yeah, fortunately, because there are major benefits to capitalism. Capitalism has perverted our way of thinking so that you know maybe 10,000 years ago people didn't care about money because it wasn't a structural thing like people cared about eating food and not dying and you know not being cold now we have those things mostly taken care of in like the richer parts of the world so now we care about how much money do I have how much status do I have and it's a perversion in the sense that it doesn't it's not fundamental to being a human (laughs) I think greed is in a sense part of being human but it's not like the essence of humanity I would say I think the essence of humanity is discovery and problem solving that's like things that we did millions of years ago as you know proto-humans as Australopithecus like these are we were always solving problems we were always exploring yeah and a lot of now what we have is people that are I think pretty smart or competent but they go and they work very menial meaningless jobs over and over because they need money to survive yeah. It's the new, it's the new, it's not getting the fresh kill off the Savannah. It's right. getting the 850 from. Yeah. It, I think that what, to build on what you're saying, it fills us with dread that there would be a day where there was no jobs left to work because we would say, I can't live. I would die. Right. I wouldn't be able to survive without a job. That's, and so that's, yeah. that I think is the problem we need to address. And that's why I'm skeptical about universal basic income, because for my mind, it is, we're not replacing the need for money. We're just funneling the money into the government instead of the people, right? We're saying we, and it seems like you're giving it to the people, but if the government has the power to give us money, they have the power to take it away. Mm-hmm. That's true. The government right. is a monopoly of force, which is what makes this all kind of hard in the end. Right. Right. The government can come to your house and they can kill you. And there isn't any court in the land that can say that they can't do that. In right. a certain sense, like the, you can the, you can see the government that doesn't they who's going to defend you and, you know, the government. Right. So it's like you get this like, yeah, uh, paradoxically, you could also or not paradoxically, you could have a private industry support you. You know, the government came and killed my family. So I'm going to hire a private law firm to support me. But they will say, OK, now I need millions of dollars to, <laughs> yeah. to you know, support all my legal costs. Yeah. So it's. It's of industry versus government. But anyway, the, the point that I'm trying to make about the fact that I don't think money is what's fundamental to humans, but it's fundamental to capitalism, is that the universal basic income, the ideal of it is that we start turning to what is actually more fundamental to humans, which is that people should do things that they're good at and help people around them. Yeah. And not things that make money for them so that they can survive. To try, it's kind of trying to upend. I guess there's been, but that money still has to be made by people. Somebody out there has to be making the money in order for it to be given to you. No, so well, like, not necessarily. You can't. So that some people out there still have to be extremely profitable, and some people out there still have to be making a lot of money in order for there to be money to go into the government to be redistribute, redistributed. I think it's the Andrew Yang's thing is a social currency. So you basically do things for people and then they do things for you and you, it is a, it's a system that's like money, but it's more based off of acts than it is, which is ironic, right? Cause money is about the fact that there's this P 
pure, un, you know, uncorruptible thing that you can exchange for a chicken, for, you know, for someone's services, for a flight. You just exchange this thing. It's much better than, oh, I'm going to the airport and I need to bring like five chickens and, you know, a horse with me to pay for my flight. Like, obviously, we don't want to go back to bartering. But this, the concept of that social currency is kind of to displace the fact that, okay, we don't have to worry about money. Like you're saying, things still have to generate money, I think, in the... So you're saying we need a second form of money? Yeah. We we have a form, but it's not money in the traditional sense of this is this pure You earn social, social currency by doing work. Yes, you do work for people in your community. That's the difference. It's okay. not, you're not going to work at Walmart or you're not going to work at the bank. You're... Someone has a roof that's leaking and you go fix his roof and he gives you social currency. And then you can use that to ask someone to, you know, treat you. Not necessarily like for, not in a medical way, maybe they give you acupuncture or they give you a massage, something like that. Mm -hmm. Ideas that, things that are not money based is maybe, so acupuncture is maybe not the best example. But that's kind of a corollary. I don't actually know if that's my view of the universe. Is that where he sees it going and that universal basic income is the first step to get there? He, I think he thinks of them as like two pieces of a puzzle. That's like, what do we do with the fact that humanity can probably provide for a lot of the things that it used to without using humans? You know, machine farmers or machine truck drivers. You know, if we replace all those jobs with robots, okay, it's catastrophe because millions of people are out of work. And we don't, we don't have anything for them to do because it's not like, oh, now you all can be robotics experts it's like no we only need one robotics expert for like 10 of these trucks and none of you are trained to do that and we're not going to pay to do it because it costs way too much and you might not even have the skill set for it Mm -hmm. so he he sees like that's a kind of an impasse yeah universal basic income is one of the ways over it it's a very modern concept right i think most like silicon valley people that are more liberal are very big fans of universal basic income because they realize that a lot of the jobs that they're creating are destructive to massive industries like, Netflix is a great example of one. I think Netflix will single-handedly... Not single-handedly, because it spawned a bunch of things around it, like Amazon's own distribution service and other and Hulu. But I think it's very much created a space that is destroying, like, 50, 100-year-old industries. So, like, all these telecom news networks, NBC and stuff, they basically are just trying to shift very slowly over into this video streaming. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of the smaller networks are going to get whacked along the way. Yeah, like I don't even know G four, all these other things that popped up in the eighties and nineties. Like they're just gone because you go to one place, you pay them fifteen dollars, you get a bunch of content. And I think I don't know if the Netflix CEO cares, but there's some people in the Silicon Valley that realize that their jobs are basically to get rid of other people's jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all these uh, Uber drivers, right? They're just like I'm. Tr- we're trying to destroy taxi industries, like that have employed people for however long they've existed, however long cars have existed, basically. Yeah. Then it's not like they're going to basically take that number of people and just, like, reduce them to nil, but they're kind of flip flipping them, right? So now none of these taxi companies will exist. It'll just be a bunch of people who decide to get in their cars and put an Uber sticker on the outside. Yeah. I. It's definitely a tough problem. Like, I won't pretend that this is an easy problem to solve. Mm-hmm. The thing that I, I struggle with comes down to if we do this next thing what will be next yeah you're right it's a very phase one problem and i think that's part of it so i would like to see a world where no one had to work and robots were the ones that drove all our cars and 
Yeah. Meet George Jetson. He goes to work. Everything you need to live. Any, everything you need to live can be handled by robots and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, because robots and AI, unlike humans, can be programmed such that they will not like abuse their power. Right. Yeah. Uh, they can be trusted when it comes down to it because they're programmed. So as long as somebody initially programmed it correctly, then the moral programmers or amoral yeah. programmers. That's gonna be a yeah. fun discussion. So. I do see a future in which that's what the case that all, all necessary work, like food collect, like harvesting food, Mm -hmm. fixing all of your appliances and your robots and Mm -hmm. your things that help your daily life is all handled by other machines and AI. I think the government, like, I think then the last step would be that the government becomes an AI. I think that would be the, that's the point in which the government can have all the powers when the government's a machine. Yeah, there's a. I actually think that's. I think that that is the that is the natural extension of the human life or human experiences to symbiotically fuse with uh, the singularity. Yeah. And that is when that is when the AI handles the the things that are necessary for human life, and humans are allowed to contribute by growing and mm-hmm. by providing discovery and new ideas. Right. This is the things that I think humans provide value on. But I don't think they provide value on manual labor. They're better than machines are in a lot of ways now because machines aren't that advanced right. in terms of the sorts of muscle movements they can make. But but the amount of development in machines that we've seen <laughs> in the last hundred years has been yeah you know what nineteen well, yeah nineteen nineteen what was what was the most advanced piece of technology a, a car I guess probably a car or a plane yeah I mean one that could go like how far off the ground for how long and then has to land. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have bombs. They couldn't do, they couldn't carry that many people. They were the biplanes. And I mean, just the argument of how long has software even been a concept. Yeah. Really only like the last 40, 50 years. I mean, I was reading this guy's, uh, uncle Bob, you know, Robert Martin's, um, his architecture book at the end. He has an appendix where he just talks about all the things that he's worked on. And he's been in the software industry since like the late sixties, early seventies. Mm. So he's, he worked on this machine where like the disc, was oh so the processor was like 143 megahertz so most computers now are gigahertz so they're at least thousands of times more powerful than this thing was yeah and they had these big fat disks so the machine didn't have an operating system or a compiler it had only an assembler so you'd have to punch things into the exact locations in memory where you wanted it to and then tell it to go to those points in memory to actually like read programs and the disks would spin so fast and so hard that they would could embed themselves in concrete walls if they dislodged <laughs> from the machine. That's how, like, honking big oh and powerful gosh. but not actually powerful these machines were. Yeah. And now you have a thousand times that power in a MacBook that weighs 10 pounds that you can put in your backpack. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, in sure. our lifetimes, by the time I'm 60 years old, I don't know what – I don't know what kind of technology we're going to have. Right. But – it is uh, eye-opening, I think, when you consider now that it feels like technology is moving at a rate that's so fast that government can't possibly keep up with it. No. A, a government run by a machine would be very interesting. I think that's the most important. I think that's the next important thing because a machine could. <laughs> I think once you develop, I think that's the most practical use for general intelligence there is. Yeah, I mean. Like if. Could, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. If the general, like, if it was as as intelligent as a human and could rational, ration, like, rationalize and c- converse and go through logical leaps like we can and understand and communicate like we could, then the most practical use of that would be, like, government shops or a lawyer, like, yeah, or a I, judge or... 
I wonder, I always, I have the belief that, like, those AIs are always going to believe malevolent, maybe because I've watched too much TV or movies, but if you look at, like, uh, one of the, <laughs> the Shadow Buff movies, um, Eagle Eye, have you seen that one? Or mm-hmm. So, like, uh, they basically they have this, like, AI watch people everywhere, and then it sees that the government officials, like, order a, a, a kill on this house, and they end up killing civilians. And so they're like, well, the government, these people at the top of the government are evil. And this guy at like the 14th position was good because he didn't want that to happen. So we're going to kill everyone in positions one through 13 in the, in the, in the cabinet and the joint chiefs and everything until we get to this person. That's how I don't think an AI is going to be like that. But I also feel like if you asked, if you like had a really intelligent AI that was equivalent to a human and you asked it like, what should we do? Like, where should we put all of our money? It would be like, kill everyone or something like that. <laughs> like, stop existing or, you know. There. I mean, it depends, I think, who develops the first general intelligence and who develops these intelligence that we that we uh, yeah. experience. Because I think mm-hmm. majority of the times with humans, what happens is the moral conversation occurs when it's relevant. Mm-hmm. And at that point, everyone stops and tries to do the right thing for like out of integrity like right. engineers are you know is it okay that i only have a factor of safety of two on this design i've made mm-hmm. because if it goes wrong people could die and so they have the whole group of people come in and they explain and try to understand is it okay to even release it mm-hmm. to the public in this state and maybe somebody dies because they of something they didn't even consider but then they come back to the drawing board and they fix it, which I think would be interesting if like the most powerful people in the world, like that can have the most power, the ones that like programmed the AI that ran the government, <laughs> like they, they're the main maintenance people for that AI that, that developed new versions of that, it. And that guy, Bob, he gets $3 billion. Why? Yeah. Because I say so. <laughs> Damn. Shouldn't have put Bob in the, in QA. Yeah. I actually think that, I don't know. I don't believe that AI would be naturally evil. I think it'd be naturally good because of what I've seen of all of other technology that we've developed. Uh, yeah, I have I, no reason to believe that just because we give it free will, we would make it. We would make something that would be evil. I, I think all of those, um, especially their popular media concepts of like a and malevolent AI, come from the fact that humans are inherently like a problem. Like they're actually what's wrong with the world, not what's good about it. And I think so, it's what's good about the world. I think we're a good thing. I I think I would mostly agree, but that's because they feel that way. They feel like humans are a problem. That's people that write those sorts of things. Popular yeah. media, I think, are more of the prophetic. Like we're all causing the end of the world, and we're terrible, and so we're going to create something that destroys us, and we deserve. If it. the world did nothing but churn and life just happened like normal, and nothing that humans ever did happen, would it be a good thing? The anthropic principle. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that the life has a life has a purpose. Like as far as, you know, if nothing new is being discovered and no, nothing interesting is happening in the world is what's, what's it even worth being around for. Yeah. What purpose does it have? If there's nothing like us, that's exploring it and figuring out how to do interesting things with it. Duck build platypuses. They can (laughs) see with their, their bills. They can feel, they can feel electric current with their bills. (laughs) They have, like, special tuned nerves in there. Anyway, it's kind of silly. But that's the sort of stuff that, obviously, a human figured out. The duckbill platypus right. probably 
knew that it could do that because that's how it survives. It but it wasn't an interesting thing until humans said, "Observed it." And, yeah. Wow, what could that do? Like, if we had a bill like that, imagine what we could do with that. I think that's the interesting thing that humans do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, what my perspective is is that humans have written all the fictional stories that you've ever read. Yep. In- including the all the characters, version. including all the characters that were benevolent and. Um, malevolent. <laughs> and malevolent so that i think potential lives within everybody mm-hmm. the shadow within us. right yeah. i think we could not have conceived of an idea that was not we were not capable of i think we've so that gives me hope because the the ones yeah because we we fear we doomsay about malevolent creatures the fact that we're doing that is i think a good sign right yeah i think we've talked about this though we did yeah on the automate on automation i think we are the, i'm about to maybe before that too right that malevolence is few but powerful so there are very few people i think in the world that are evil like truly evil and just want to destroy everything but they're so much more powerful than the other people like they're the wolves the sheep and the shepherds yeah evil is a lot stronger than good because they just are willing to do things that good or even neutral people aren't necessarily willing to do right they're well just in concept of what they're capable of right i can i can only save you so many times Right. right. It, one person can take your life and then there's no one doing that. He poisons you, he stabs you, he follows you home. He can do all these sorts of things and there's only so many times you can intervene to stop. Right. A good person okay. can only do can only stop you one time, but you can always try mm-hmm. again. Yep. Yeah. That's I think the that I think is I don't know if it's necessarily related to a malevolent AI running the government, but I think it would be it's much scarier. It'll be great yeah. if there was a nice but interesting. There. You could write an interesting program that showed that power because you could just do like a, some program that between two people, they a winner's decided every time they like they get they battle and then they battle again. But they only battle until one the until one of the two people wins, like the specific one of them. Right. Like so, say A or B, and it only they only battle until B wins, mm-hmm. and then you could see how many times do they ever battle given that they have, like, a 50-50 chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they're equally capable, right? Right. You know, how uh, how many games are played until B wins. Yeah, especially, like you're saying, because when, if a good person wins, right, they just thwart the evil person. But if a bad person wins, then they become stronger. They are actually better at killing because mm-hmm. they've had experience doing it. And the game's somewhat over once a, once an evil person wins. Yeah, because they've killed ways. you. Or, or they've accomplished their task and they're done trying to mess with you. If I'm trying to steal your girl and I win. I don't need to steal your girl again. I don't need to steal your girl again. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. But exactly. if you stop me from stealing your girl, I can always try again. <laughs> and then once it's done, it's done. Yeah. I don't know how this relates to universal basic income, but... Oh, uh, we were talking about AI running the government and if AI yeah. would be evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was, there was another thing... So this is why I think universal basic income is better. So I think it's it should be in place of, not in addition to, government spending. Mm-hmm. Like, government spending should just be taken away, and then we just replace it with this. And that's because I think of, there were these countries... No in, roads, no... Nope, nothing. No fire department, nothing. Just kidding. Obviously, oh, sorry, you can finish here. Yeah, there's some things that... In, in place of welfare or food stamps. In place of other socialist programs. Yes, yeah, exactly. okay. There's places in Africa that are super poor people are starving people are living like various countries like obviously like somalia is like the token one of like a completely defunct government Mm -hmm. and there's a few other countries and i can't remember which country that they actually did this example a lot of human humanitarian aid goes to these countries like billions of dollars a year Mm -hmm. and just completely disappears 
It doesn't go to people. I don't even know if it goes to the government. It probably just ends up in one warlord's locker. I remember there was a, an article where they talked about it's easier to kill people without food than with bullets. It's cheaper. Yeah. So they just don't... They have all this food, and they leave it in a warehouse, and it rots. And what I think of as, like, this is the worst thing. We're just creating a very big socialist network that feeds into one despotic guy taking advantage of it. Or girl. But mostly guys. The corollary is there are some places that really employ microfinance, where you just can give money to people. Like, they just, like, basically give you a bank account number, and you can just drop money into their accounts. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's way more successful because they don't go through any government. They're able to pay for things that they never would have, like medical care or food, clean water access that they wouldn't have had through, like, some have someone come and solve plumbing. And so I think microfinance or giant government that could easily become corrupt takes your money and puts it into various programs. And so universal basic income to me is just microfinances. Let's take the money. I know I'm taking it from you because I'm an evil tax man, but I'm giving it back to people. And there are definitely people that need it more at the relative amount than you do. Yeah. You, as a... I mean, for me, it's putting... It a, but isn't that just putting a middleman in 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 the mix, though? Because uh, have you... Are, are you familiar with, like, um, the multi-channel networks on YouTube? I don't think so. So in order to... Back in the beginning of YouTube, in order to monetize your videos, you have to be part of a multi-channel network. Mm. And the multi-channel network, what they would do is they would get your check from YouTube and then give it to you. But along the way, they would take 10% of the money. Right. Right. So they're taking the money that's supposed to go to you and they're just taking it away for themselves to do the things that they think are important. And this, um, you know, it has some major problems. And I mean, what happened, what started happening was that then the multi-channel network said, Oh, we have billion, we're worth billions of dollars because, or not billions, millions of dollars because, the money that's going to the YouTubers sits in their hands for a minute and then they siphon off a bit of it and then give it to them. Mm-hmm. But while they have the money in their bank accounts, technically they're worth the full amount that they would be giving. Right. And then people invested in those things we'll and then they're not worth it. And then Disney bought like for millions of dollars, they bought one of these multi-channel networks and they came in and there's like, there is no money. There is no money in this because the money basically just goes through us to the people that earned it. Right. And that's, that's kind of the problem I see with the government is because you like basically just saying like, okay, instead of employing people and giving, having the people that make the money, give the money to people mm-hmm. for work. Now we're saying have the co- corporation, give it to the government to give it to people for not working. This so then is, you just devalued, yeah. you just devalued work because now instead of working for money, mm-hmm. I'm just giving it to this person by force and then they're giving it to people. Social systems completely devalue work. That's probably what actually is, I think, definitionally what a socialist system does. Is it re- lowers I actually the think this is why universal basic income would work now, and I do agree with it. We're just, I'm just playing devil's advocate for the sake of this, but I actually think that we don't want to value work forever because at some point, everyone's job is going to go away. Just admit it, it is possible that we just automate everything, and we should automate everything. We should not better. automate jobs just because people are currently working them. It's the idea of walking around the sh- a rock in your shoe for no reason. It's like, mm-hmm. if I could take the rock out of your shoe and you wouldn't have to experience pain, would you want that? Mm-hmm. And should we do that for people? I don't want you to have to drive a truck eight hours a day for your rest of your life. You know, I'd rather you not have to do that. I'd rather you right. be able to live the same quality of life you have without having to drive a truck. Yeah, I think right. the value of automation is people make mistakes 
for many reasons. Mm -hmm. But automation makes a mistake only for one reason, which is that it was written badly. It didn't handle some case. So after enough time, automation automation kind of builds in what humanity can never build in, which is this like so human humanity builds it in over a long period of time. Like millions mm -hmm. of years humanity builds in the ability, okay, I don't fall out of a tree anymore because I jerk myself awake once I like I'm yeah. going to fall over. But like I don't drive a car at that well because my grandfather drove a car that well. Like evolution hasn't taken off since you know yeah. the year nineteen hundred, but automation has that ability to really, you know, increase the pace at which we build in perfection almost into well, these sorts of things. Every job in some way involves doing something you don't want to do mm -hmm. in order to make ends meet. Part right. to it. I'm thinking more. And if people don't have to, if people don't have to do that, then they would just do the things they like doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people care about making the world a better place and a lot of people want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that would just go away because no one has to work. Right? I think what you would find in a truly universal basic income socialist society is that people that were bad are still bad. And they don't work. And they don't work. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because they didn't work before either. They stole. They cheated. They lied. Mm -hmm. They took advantage in any way that they could. People that are going to be lazy are going to be lazy. I think that's what you accept if you're yeah. someone who supports universal basic income. You accept that and you say, what matters is not that people are lazy, it's that there are people that are willing to do amazing and good things and we should make sure that those people can have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. And also, in addition to that, it means that like those people don't have to do something they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And those people that were lazy might just have wanted to do something else. Yeah, the next best painter, I mean, <clears throat> artist. We'll get Tim, who, like, really, he really wants to do, like, humanity work and social work and stuff. But his mm -hmm. skills are in software engineering. Mm -hmm. And so what he's doing is he's trying to find a way to use his software engineering skills to make the world a better place. Versus mm -hmm. if he didn't have to work and had all the money that he would ever need given to him and he could do whatever he wanted, that man would still be doing good things for people. He would just be doing it in the ways that he feels... Um, he's more the best equipped to do mm -hmm. and not having to use a specific like avenue that's both financially profitable for him and good for people. Right. I think we, for many, many, many millennia were chained to our bellies and now we're chained to our pockets. Yeah. Our pocket change or credit cards, whatever, but it would be great to see a time where we're not chained to anything. We're only tethered to our inability or ability to do things. Yeah, exactly. I would like that. And where things were, everything felt like a university where it's for the love of the knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point when you're in, when you're working at a school and you're doing your graduate degree and you're a professor, all the other stuff is just the, the busy work you need to do to get out of the way so you can do the things you care about. It just happens to be that once you become a professor, then your entire job is just getting the funding so that other people can work on the things you care about. Yeah. But yeah, it would be nice if that was basically how things functioned was, was that like, you know, people did it for the love of discovery and the love of humanity and contributing society and not because they had to feed their family. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think universal basic income is basically a necessity, uh, but I think that it should be, like I said earlier, I do think it's like, we need to th really think about where we're going. What the phase and two it is. It could be, yeah, three. it could be a bad thing because it could definitely lead to inflation if done wrong. And it could lead to a lot of bad things if we don't, have the right state of mind going mm -hmm. into it, the right the right goals going in i think it needs to be experimental and self-correcting in that sense mm -hmm. like realize oh crap we just boosted like the rental costs in this area by like a thousand dollars we should probably 
do something to correct for it. Right. I mean, I think it's a risk, and I think it's a risk worth taking, though. I think we should take it. Mm-hmm. I think there's only one, one, you know, the only way you succeed as a society and by, as a person is by taking risks. And you can't eliminate all, every risk in your entire life. Yeah. I, I think of it this way. We make a ton of money as a country. Sure, very few people are making the majority of it. But why shouldn't we try and open the ability for people at every level to experience some, you know, sameness in terms of comfort and not having to strive? Because really they should be striving for themselves as a person, not themselves as a belly or a, a stomach or something like that. Right. Cool. All right. So, uh, as we can wrap up there, socialism wins. No. Socialism. <laughs> UBI wins. I think universal basic income is the right way to go. Yep. Yeah. 